Well, I did prepare a sermon this week, so you kind of know what my time has been like. I guess you didn't catch the reference from uh, Edgard's poem. <laughs> it's okay. My people came here in the USA in the early 1900s. My mom's side came from Italy, and my dad's from France by way of Switzerland. They were French Huguenots, per the last name Lambelet. When they arrived in this country, they settled in Brock, Nebraska, one of the smallest towns I've ever been to. Even today, the town only exists of about 120 people. And there in Brock, my dad's people farmed the land. Except for my grandfather. Sure, he helped out as he could, but he had a weak heart, we were told. So his parents and his six older siblings feared he would never make it as a farmer. So while the rest of the family worked outside, my grandfather was sent to school on a horse named Major. I often think about Major. One of his old rusty horseshoes actually sits in my bookshelf in our living room. It's one of the only heirlooms I have from my grandpa's family. And yes, of course, this is a show and tell sermon. So here it is. See how big and old? I've been told that Major used to rise early to help plow the fields, and then on days when the family could spare him, my grandpa rode Major the many miles into town, only to return again to haul the plow or help with the heavy loads. My grandpa grew up to be a school teacher, so Major did some good work. He was hitched to my grandpa's family in all senses of the word, a true partner in their lives and obviously well-beloved. It's all accurate family lore, of course. I have this hundred-year-old horseshoe to prove it. Over the years, I have come to understand that the delight my family takes in remembering Major is one of the ways we offer gratitude to God for God's provision. The earth and its creatures are a reflection of God, divinely given so we can better see God. So full of God is every creature, Eckhart reminds us. Today we draw attention to this truth as we celebrate the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, patron saint of animals and ecology and the poor. It's a day we bless the animals who bless us. Thank you, Major. It's a day we pray to become more like Francis, to gladly renounce the vanities of this world so that we might better delight in all creation, as the collect we read this morning says. The phrasing of the St. Francis Day collect here is noteworthy, isn't it? It describes a relationship between the act of renunciation and the act of delight. Essentially, the collect advises that the way to love God and delight in creation is predicated upon a kind of giving up or letting go. We renounce our attachments to this world so that we can properly delight in the goodness of creation. It's fitting, then, that the psalm for today is uh, Psalm 104, known as a creation psalm. This hymn-like text offers God praise for the harmony and order revealed in the created order. God is mighty and powerful, the psalm exclaims. 
God assigns boundaries to valleys and mountains and seas. God causes the springs to flow between the mountains and gives water to all beasts of the field, to the birds of the air who rest in the branches and who nest by the sides of the waters. From God's upper chambers, the land is satisfied by the fruit of God's labor, and it is God who provides the substances that gladden the human heart. Verse after verse after verse, the psalm sings the praises of God and asserts that the world and all its creatures are interconnected with one another through the works of their creator. But what is so significant about the theology of Psalm 104 and about the theology of Francis is how they both describe and perform how offerings of praise and worship turn us away from the sin of human hubris and properly connect us to God as creatures of God's. The very turning point in the structure of the psalm we chanted happens in verse 25. You might have caught it. O holy one, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. This line in the psalm is often called the cry of wonder. Don't you just love that? A cry of wonder? The verses leading up to verse 25 give us reasons why God ought to be praised. And then verse 25 does it. Instead of talking about God and about creation, the psalmist shifts her voice to cry with all the creatures of the earth in creation praise, revealing here that our worship of God is a major part of our witness to God. Francis knew such cries aided Christians in the task of renunciation. Whether the church cries in wonder, exclaiming awe over God's handiwork, or in lament, because the world is not how it should be. Our cries ultimately remind us that the reality that we live in is dependent in the end upon God's saving mercy and power. In the gospel reading today, Jesus directs those who are worn down by what shouldn't be. Come to me, we hear him say, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. This is a familiar passage to most of us, but just as Jesus seems to be inviting his audience to be liberated from other attachments and leave behind their burdens, Jesus does a strange thing. He invites them to put on a yoke. Traditionally, a yoke is a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the necks of two animals. It's attached to a plow or a cart that they are to pull. This is not a tool of rest. It is a device to help animals in their work. This proposal then would not have given the disciples or anyone else who heard it the sense that they would be relieved from their labor. No, this invitation from Jesus to hitch their lives to his, to make his work their own and their burden his. So it's not just that Jesus invites his followers then to cast off one thing, burdens, in order to receive another thing, rest. Here Jesus gives a more intimate offer. Some scholars think the Greek in this passage is better translated, come to me, you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. I will rest you, I'm sorry. 
Rest for the weary soul is found in proximity to Jesus. Thus, to hitch oneself to Jesus or to be yoked to Jesus is not a prerequisite for receiving rest, but rather the very location of God's rest. Come to me and I will rest you, Jesus says. St. Francis knew how tempting it is to seek security from other things, from wealth, from prestige. He knew it was a lot of work to find your rest in Jesus, but still his witness calls us to cultivate the soul of our attention, to gather together as church, to join our voices with all creatures before God, to worship, to praise, to hear the delightful music of divine harmony sung by all creation. The intimacy of our surroundings as our stewardship poem by David White suggests is waiting for us because God is waiting for us. God is waiting for us to hitch our lives to the wondrous and working power of God's love made manifest in all creation and foremost in Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will rest you. Come to me, all you who carry heavy burdens, and I will rest you. Come to me, all you who are anxious, and I will rest you. Come to me if you are stricken with grief. Come to me if you doubt you have a future. If the diagnosis is bleak, if your world is ending, if all hope is lost, come to me, Jesus says. I will rest you. Amen.